it's really a joy to come back to especially to sharing the Gita of all things um, I think in these short we're on our sixth class now but we've already touched on so many subtle such deep insights that it's astounding in just you know if you've barely gotten into it and it's already so overwhelming in many ways to realize the enormity of the experience that awaits each one of us where we left it in our last class um, we were talking about Krishna essentially said I have thus explained to you the ultimate wisdom of Shankya so so far Krishna had been explaining to Arjuna why he needs to fight why he needs to overcome himself why he's trying to go beyond uh, even death and birth and rebirth and that's the Shankya philosophy the why behind why must we fight against Maya why must we overcome Maya why is it that we suffer in the process and having thus kind of established that Krishna then says now I'm going to tell you the path of yoga which is the how how do I now approach having understood at least why it is I would put myself in this battle now how must I face this battle what must I do in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras Patanjali starts his Yoga Sutras the first Sutra is Ataha Yoga Anushasanam now we begin the study of yoga and this is where Krishna is okay so far I've told you Shankya now let's come to yoga and as he talks about yoga he first talks about how yoga is an inner reality talks the importance of the even-minded state and of course he says outward forms of worship which he called the Vedic rituals are not going to bring you to a state of yoga is not going to bring you that which you seek and so that's where we are right now and let us see what Krishna now has to share with each one of us this is chapter 2 we're on verse 46 to the knower of Brahman the Supreme Spirit the Vedas are of no more use than a well when the land all around is in flood such a beautiful image as well here you are filled with water all around you and at that time the well that we would otherwise draw from becomes just irrelevant and that is what we're aiming for I know many of you have said <clears throat> it would be nice if we you know have more classes on the Gita and we do this more frequently but very consciously Narayani and I have really thought that it's important that we go in this way and space it out because Part of our mind says, I want to know the Gita. But what we really want is to become the Gita. We want God that the Gita only describes. When Yogananda was a young monk, a young student, Chela of his guru, Sri Yukteswar, when they would study the scripture, Sri Yukteswar would have them study one verse, one shlok, and then he would say, now just meditate on it for hours they would were supposed to sit and contemplate and contemplate and contemplate and Yogananda ever eager to want to proceed would say okay I think I got it can we proceed and Shukdev would say nah I don't think you've gotten it yet 
Let's sit in silence. And sometimes Yogananda said, this would go on for days. Months also. Months perhaps, probably. And so then comes the second shloka. Then came the third. And Yogananda said, by the time they came to the fourth shloka, Sri Yogeshwar said, Bas, you don't need to study the scripture anymore because you have now found the key that will unlock all scriptures. And this is what we want to. In this period, these two weeks that we've been kind of absent from going, continuing with the Gita, how many of us have said, ah, all I want to do is take that one verse from the Gita and want to become that verse, want to experience that verse. The problem is our love for knowledge is greater than our love for God. When you think about being in love with someone, we've all had the experience, you know, especially in our younger days where we were falling with, <laughs> in love with a lot of people as easily as possible. We, we naturally wanted to know them, right? We wanted to know what they liked, which, what they, where they liked to go, what the music what they were listening to. Because in knowing them, we would naturally feel closer to them. And we thought that's how we would then learn or get them to love us in return. But knowing someone and loving somebody are two different things. We didn't need to know them when that love first awakened within us. And this is what we're having to contend with. We're far more interested sometimes in the words than the experience. And Krishna here is very clear to the knower of Brahman, the Vedas are of no more use. So all scripture, all knowledge, all information of God is of no use once you experience God. And that's what our intention should be with everything. Take We could take one verse from the Gita, even if it seems to be the most, uh, you know, outwardly superfluous verse, and you could probably experience God through it. And that should be our intention, even as we go deep. Just stay with these few verses that we work with and try to become them. And then we won't need this anymore. Then he continues on. Now he's shifting gears a little bit, Krishna. He says, action in this realm of vibration is a duty. But let not your ego crave the fruits of action. Be not attached to either action or inaction. Now here he's saying action is a duty. There is no way we can not act in this world. Even those of us who might feel that, okay, I don't want to be a part of this world. I want to just go somewhere and be by myself. Even then we can't kind of not act. Bre breathing is an action. Thinking is an action. <laughs> just our heart beating is an action. And so as long as we are here, we're bound to act. The important part is how must we act? If we must act, what must our actions be like? And especially here, Krishna is introducing to us that aspect of yoga, which is karma yoga. This is where he's starting with the yoga of action which is that those actions that bring us into a state of yoga and the state of yoga being that which neutralizes karma. Actions that do not create more karma. Actions that neutralize duality within us. And how must we act? Be not attached to either action or inaction. Now in the beginning of the Gita, Krishna told Arjuna, you must fight. And this is what he's saying. You must act in accordance to what your duty is. You're a warrior. This is how you must act. 
but be not attached to either action or inaction. Let him then further clarify that for us. O Dhananjaya Arjuna, immerse yourself in the thought of yoga, which is union with God. Inwardly non-attached and even-minded in both success and failure. Perfect evenness of mind and feeling is itself the definition of yoga. Now, this concept is called Nishkam Karma, to act without the desire for the fruits of our actions. This is a tough one, isn't it? Everybody says, well, if I'm not going to be interested in the fruits of the action, it's almost like I can't be passionate about what I do. And to a certain degree, that's true because we've become so used to always wondering what this action will bring us. And this is again a very interesting shift from the consciousness of a Vaishya. In a few verses back, Krishna brought the idea that you're a Kshatriya and as a Kshatriya, this is your duty. And we talked about the subtleties of the caste system, the Shudras, the Vaishya, the Kshatriya and the Brahman. And we are all aspiring not so much to be Brahmins yet because that's a state, if we're honest enough, that state's a little further away from us. We first have to learn to become Kshatriyas. But most of us, even in our spiritual lives, are Vaishyas. I will do this if I receive this in return. I will meditate if I'm able to then be calm all the time. I will, you know, give uh, a certain time on seva if in return God gives me, you know, so much, so much enlightenment and so much realization. And we can no longer continue in that particular vein. We have to evolve from the Vaishya understanding to the Kshatriya understanding. And for a Kshatriya, everything is Seva. And that is the only way action needs to be performed. Service is when an action is performed for the action's sake, because that is right to do, not because it will return to us something as we perform it. So here he says, Oh Dhananjaya, immerse yourself in the thought of yoga. So everything that we are doing is with the thought of union with God. Now that's a very, very, it's, it's how we're substituting our desire for the fruit. Okay, my fruit is not that I will receive the praise if I do this right. I will receive the, um, you know, um, extra realization in this particular way. I will receive money for this thing that I do. Will I receive, will I get closer to God? Yogananda said, when we're talking about free will, he said, the bottom line of free will for all of us is, we have two choices. Will this thing, this thought, this action, this intention, this feeling, bring me closer to God? Or will it bring me farther away from God? And I can boil every action down, every thought down to this particular thing. Getting upset versus being calm. Being rude versus being kind. Being hateful versus being loving. I mean, no matter what, it's not so much, should I do this because this is what should be done? This is what people expect. Is this going to bring me to yoga? Is this going to draw me towards union? Because unions are, it's, it's still a, you know, it's still some ways away. But we're going to have to walk towards that union. We're not going to awaken in that union one day suddenly. So when I walk towards that union, I have to, I have to 
mind my every action, my every word, my every thought in alignment with that union that I seek. And this is where Krishna is helping Arjuna align himself in the battle that he has to take place. He's saying, don't think about success or failure. Will I win this battle? Will I lose this battle? Will I actually gain mastery over myself? Or will I not gain mastery over myself? Will this bring me closer to the union that I seek? Or will this take me farther away? Perfect evenness of mind and feeling is itself the definition of yoga. Action performed with desire for the fruits is greatly inferior to action guided by wisdom. And this is that wisdom. Where will this action take me? So he's saying these in the hierarchy of action, the more you aspire for the fruits of your action, the more you will continue to perform an inferior action. And an inferior action, this imperfect action, will continue to generate karma in our lives. It won't bring us to that neutralization. Therefore, O Dhananjaya, seek in everything to be guided by wisdom, for misery attends actions performed for their fruits. This one sentence is like the holy grail here. All suffering, all sorrow, all disappointment, everything that you and I experience comes from this one thing, which is actions performed for their fruits. The expectation behind everything that we do is what brings us the suffering and misery that we are experiencing. It's not, again, it's not cruel. It's not like God wants us to suffer. But such is the way he's designed the world. Such is the learning that each one of us must <laughs> naturally have in our own lives that brings us to these thoughts. You see, nothing here, when, you, when Krishna talks about wisdom, this wisdom does not come by reading the Gita. Because you and I are going to read this, it's going to sound beautiful, but right after we finish this class, probably the second act you and I do will be very much ego, desire motivated. Then um, the choice will come over being a little upset over what something somebody said. Most of us are going to choose to be upset. And so it's not going to just come because we know this. This wisdom comes through experience. And the suffering that entails this inferior actions that we do is the learning, is actually the wisdom that we grow into that finally brings us to the point that says, you know what, I don't want any more to expect anything from this action. I want to do it only because it will bring me closer to God. And if I can lay every action, and this is where we move beyond this state of, well, you know, if I don't have a desire to excel in my work, then how will I, you know, really do well in everything? Then I will all be, always be at a mediocre level. But if I feel I want to do that, which brings me closer to God, excellence and perfection brings you closer to God. Why? Because for excellence and perfection to be manifested, you have to have absolute control over your life force. You have to have a lot of energy. You have to have deep concentration and focus. You have to have perseverance and willpower. You see, so wanting God actually puts everything that this world would otherwise offer us 
into the right perspective. It locks it all in where then success is all we seek. It so also happens that then worldly success pales in comparison to the success of seeking the love of God. And then naturally most of us just look at worldly success and say, this isn't what I'm looking for. This isn't going to give me anything. But you have to come to that understanding. We can't shun the world only because it's hard. And this is, there's a fun little story of Yogananda's in which, because he's talking here about being even-minded all the time. And Yogananda, and especially when we're talking about action, Yogananda was getting late for um, uh, a lecture in an auditorium and he was with a disciple. And since he was getting late, you know, he started running towards his appointment to make his appointment on time. And his disciple, the disciple kind of, you know, wanting to be spiritual says, uh, you know, Master, there's no need for us to be nervous. We'll get there when we get there. You know, this is, this is what we think being spiritual means. We'll get there when we get there. And Yogananda said, you can run calmly or you can run nervously, but not to run when you are late is irresponsibility. Now that's where we have to find that inner self where I have to act, yes, but what am I acting towards? What is it that defines my every action? And what Krishna wants us that defines our every action is that thought of yoga. Where is this going to bring me? And if I can place that thought before every action, you will succeed, believe me, in everything. In the Bible, the way Christ puts it, he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these other things shall be added unto you. That means everything else that you are seeking will come with it if you place before you the absolute highest goal. One who lives united to cosmic wisdom passes beyond the effects of both, both virtue and vice even while living in this body. Therefore, devote yourself through wisdom to achieving the oneness of yoga. Such alone is right action. Somebody had asked, what is the difference between dharma and karma? We talked about that even a couple of classes before where we said, as long as you're doing, you know, as long as you're acting in just in a karmic way, we continue only to create more karma. When you act in dharma, that is when you don't create any karma anymore. And everybody always wonders, what is my dharma? Which to them means, what is my higher purpose? And Krishna here is saying, well, there is only one purpose. And that purpose is union with God. And only when we aspire for that union, will your dharma also become aware. Will, will your dharma come into awareness within you? Because as I aspire towards God and I begin to say, okay, the concept of success, even at work, even as a husband, even as a wife, even as a maid, even as a worker, is about being successful within myself because that's what I'm seeking, is success in my love for God. As I align to that, it becomes more and more obvious if this is what I want in the first place. And then and only then does dharma become known to us. It's not something from the outside that somebody will tell, your purpose is to build hospitals or to serve people in this way or to go into a forest and meditate. Your purpose will only reveal itself to you when you seek the one purpose for which 
each one of us has been created. Such alone, O Arjuna, is right action. To those who have mastered their thoughts, sorry, those who have mastered their thoughts escape the confines of the mind and become engrossed in cosmic wisdom. They become freed from the chains of rebirth and attain that state which transcends all suffering. So again, as long as we act with a desire for the fruits, there is no escape from suffering. And that Krishna is saying with a certain tone of finality, you can do it. If you really want to, you can do it. But that will not end the suffering that you experience now. When your perception pierces the dark mists of delusion, you will become indifferent to everything you have heard about this world and the next. Again, you can just see what Krishna is saying to Arjuna it has nothing to do with the battle that they are fighting, it has nothing to do with the Kauravas and the Pandavas and who is his grandfather and who is his brother. He's trying to bring Arjuna so much higher than the battlefield of life itself because that's where we get caught up. What should I do? What's right? What's wrong? Does God want me to take this job or that job? On that level, as long as we play on that level, as long as we stay on that level, we'll deal only with those problems. The way Ananda Ma put it so beautifully, she said, there are no human solutions for human problems. As long as you're looking for human solutions, as long as you're looking to fix that which exists in that particular realm, you'll keep dealing with it over and over again. And that is why Krishna wants Arjuna to rise so high above it all, that in, in that perspective, it's like, uh, what battle? What battle am I fighting in the first place? When God's bliss awaits me, what more can I possibly want? When your discrimination is no longer tossed about by opinions, but abides unshaken in soul bliss, then you will attain final union with God. Now, of course, these are very, very high states Krishna is talking about. None of this is to be taken lightly. But just these words are so comforting. I mean, they just bring so much solace. Ah, oh, yeah, that's what I'm seeking. I am seeking that soul bliss. I don't know why I get so caught up in people's opinions. I don't know why I'm so concerned with the littlenesses of my life. When what I'm really seeking is soul bliss. But this is why these scriptures are so important because they're reminders. They won't give you the wisdom, but they will remind you the wisdom that you're so desperately seeking. Arjuna says, O Keshava Krishna, what are the signs of one who has attained calm wisdom and is established in union with God? How does he speak, sit, walk? Such a sweet question. I love this one. How does he sit, speak, walk? I mean, Arjuna is really <laughs> saying, wait, don't talk to me only about this. Wow, wow, wow. Bring it down to me a little bit. I want to know what does such a fellow who abides in this perfect union, in this bliss, what does he look like? And again, the concept of the guru comes here. We need to know who it is that we're attuning to. And Krishna here is Arjuna's guru. He's not just God in the impersonal state saying, Sab Brahman hai, everything is bliss and you'll only suffer. He's really wanting to show Arjuna piece by piece 
what this entire tapestry of soul union perhaps looks like. And when we talk about Guru, of course, we're talking about Paramahansa Yogananda. But for us, Swami Kriyananda was the, was the representation for a person of how he sat, how he spoke and how he walked. Now these three things are very interesting that he speaks about them. He doesn't talk of he doesn't really talk about, you know, what is his experience and what would he tell me more and more and how how expanded is his consciousness. Arjuna in his simplicity, which is beautiful, wants to really condense it to something very real. And one thing if we were to talk about sitting, speaking and walking is first and foremost Swami Kriyananda, I mean, I'm talking about somebody I knew when he was 86 years old, never had a bent spine. So important. Every word he spoke vibrationally was loving and calm, even when he was being stern with us. Never did that change, ever. I mean, even when he was being you know, he was chastising us because he had to do that. You know, we weren't easy and we, not just Narayani and I, but we, all of us, we're not easy. God doesn't have an easy job with us. But even in that, there was never a hint of harshness in his voice. There was never this, you know, tendency that we all have. And, uh, you know, I have a little more than others is to kind of make somebody know that you're upset with them, you know. It's like we want to rub it in a little bit. And this is just so simple. And this doesn't come by pretending. See, you can't pretend. Later on, he goes on to when Arjuna, when Krishna, in fact, this was more or less where we will end. Let me just finish this concept. This can't come by pretending. We can't pretend to be calm while on the inside we're so agitated. We can't pretend not to be touched by people's opinions while inside we are so hurt. We can't paste on this state of consciousness. We have to experience, we have to become this state of consciousness. And that is why the practice of yoga, the practice of meditation is so important because it will only come where Arjuna is right now in the Shishumna. Which means what? When you have withdrawn the energy from both the Ida and the Pingala. And again and again I come to this. Neither the Pandavas nor the Kauravas are involved in this process. The Pandavas will help generate the energy to bring us to the state. Arjuna has to be a part of the Pandavas. He can't have been a Kaurava and then achieve, achieved this state. But even then Krishna wants him even to remove himself from that identity. Because in a saint, and Krishna will continue as we continue tomorrow, he talks about there is neither virtue nor vice. Our limited understanding of the world of what is good, what is bad, what is appropriate, what is inappropriate, what is right, what is wrong, is so, you know, has no basis except in our own likes and dislikes, in our own karmic tendencies, in our own past habits that we have generated. And they're so flexible. Our morals are so wishy-washy. When it suits us, we are moralistic. When it doesn't suit us, well, we're not so. <laughs> when it works in our favor, we'll be whoever we need to be. Only a saint centered in the Shushumna, having withdrawn the life force from both Ida and Pingala, up and down, good and bad, virtue and vice, only he knows 
what is appropriate because Swami did tell us things strongly and sharply and was firm and he laughed and he, when somebody told a joke he was not like oh Swamiji this wonderful thing has happened okay oh Swamiji this horrible thing has happened okay no he grieved with us he embraced his joy when we were in joy but inwardly he was untouched and that's the state Krishna wants us to achieve and this is where we must 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 this is where the Gita itself has no power until and unless we achieve this state we yearn for this state that we want God we don't want knowledge of God we want God we want bliss until you don't want this bliss with every atom of your being it's just going to be very very hard we're going to continue on for a very long time in the way that we are. And Krishna would very much like us to go beyond the suffering of our daily actions and go into the action of yoga. So let's take a moment here. Let's see what Narayani has kind of brought the few points perhaps that she has picked up that she might put into a context of what we could do this coming week together. Well, the main thing that really stuck to in me is about Nishka and karma. But I, I like to see every scripture because in a sense, the essence of every scripture is the same, which is the soul has been created by God in God's image. And we have just left that real home that we belong and just wandered for incarnations and we have become so lost that we don't know how to return back home. We are truly the prodigal son that we know we belong to, to a real palace, to a real kingdom, kingdom, but we have lost the way. And Krishna, in a sense, is telling Arjuna, I'm going to tell you where you truly belong, the place you need to return, and the steps that you need to take in order to go back to that kingdom. And these steps are one step at a time. I love the Gita because every page, every stanza, Krishna is telling Arjuna, this is the little step that you can take that will bring you closer and closer to that unity that your soul knows where it belongs to that inner kingdom. When Shurja was talking about all those expectations that we have in every action we perform daily, perhaps thousand actions and thousand thoughts that we have, that we always expect that acknowledgement, that recognition, that touch, that word of thanks or whatever that might be. Let's keep in mind that expectations always come from the ego, not from the soul. The soul is perfectly at peace, perfectly complete with the, the soul knows who she is in a sense, but the ego doesn't. And when the ego is not acknowledged, recognized 
or brought into the light or the position that the ego would like, he reacts and very badly. So one of the things that I would like for all of us is to start becoming more aware whenever we have an expectation from something, from someone. We need to start developing that awareness that when I expect something, my ego is taking control over my soul. It's like almost I'm splitting in my own personalities, like I'm becoming two separate entities and I don't know where what to follow. So that's crucial for us to start perceiving who is taking control over our lives, the ego or the soul. Meditation is the only way that will help us to develop that awareness. One of the things that I have trained myself and I still do because I want to perfect that practice in order to master uh, the concept of Nishkan Karma, I make sure that every day no matter how tiny, tiny of an action is, I do something where I want to make sure I'm not going to be acknowledged, an action that I don't want for anybody to see or to hear or to share with anyone, but that action is going to help or is going to uplift somebody else. I think this is one of the greatest little practices that each one of us can do every day. Just choose something, perform an action that is going to uplift or you are going to bring some sort of harmony or joy or upliftment or comfort somebody else or do something for somebody else unseen or unperceived by anybody. And this is really how saints uh, work with us or our guru work with us and real um, evolved souls. They don't want to be acknowledged. The only one they want to really please is God. So I think a very good practice uh, for us can be that choose every day or perform an action that, that you know you are not going to be acknowledged by it, but is really going to benefit somebody else. And I think that's it. I was just remembering when you were talking about Dharma and Karma, someone once asked Swamiji in a satsang, Swamiji, what's my Dharma? I'm just trying to figure out what I'm supposed to be doing. And Swamiji says, your only dharma is to be happy. That's all. And I think that's a wonderful way for us to keep in mind. That's our real dharma. To do, to do those things that will be, bring happiness within us and happiness to those around us.